Hi everyone, my name is Christopher Bonheim and you're listening to the BIN podcast. Simply the podcast for those who want to learn from the very best in business, tech and entrepreneurship. Let's start the show. Ulrik Unefeldt Andersen has served as CEO of Golden Ocean Management since April 2020. Prior to joining Golden Ocean, Ulrik held various positions in the shipping industry, of which the most recent includes CEO of Avance Gas. In this episode, we discuss why Ulrik started to pursue shipping, how he after several years abroad ended up in Norway, what he thinks is the future of shipping when it comes to digitalization and lower emissions, and his best advice for people that want to have an impactful career. Let's start the episode. All opinions expressed by Christopher Wonheim or his guests on this podcast are only their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of BIN. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Christopher Wonheim as a specific reason to invest or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Okay, everyone, welcome back. Super happy to be joined by Ulrik. And Ulrik, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Look forward to it. Can we start just uh, in the beginning, in the upbringing? When did you find a, a passion or a spark for, for business in general? Do you remember how early? Um, very early, actually. Uh, I remember my mom and dad telling me that I was uh, playing a money game with my little sister <laughs> when, I was, uh, when I was nine, ten years old. Um, so I think I always had sort of a not a clear uh, ambition as to what I wanted, certainly not in the young years, but I remember sort of the first things that I wanted to work somewhere where you were wearing a suit. I thought that was pretty cool. That was sort of a... As uh, as much uh, quantification I could uh, I could I could give it. So so I, I think I've always had a, 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 a desire to do business um, on unconscious or consciously. So so growing up, then you said you you found the interest pretty pretty early. Did you try to start any companies, or was it just like a general interest, maybe re- reading the financial newspapers, etc.? Or how did that interest sort of grow during the, the youth? Um, reading. And I think today, if I, I don't think you should have any regrets, but looking back, I think uh, the idea of starting something yourself, I think I'm very fascinated by that. It's very difficult to start something on your own in shipping. It's very expensive. Um, so I, I, I never did start anything myself. I guess I was never uh, smart enough to get any good ideas, um, but I like the idea of starting something. Uh, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's something I, I respect a lot, but I did not start anything myself. I, um, I followed the... The newspapers. I went uh, through the school system, and then I uh, went to what can you say, ordinary uh, gymnasium. We call it in uh, high school. I, I'm not sure how to translate it, um, and that went that went well. But I took a a, a business one year degree afterwards, and there my grades got a lot better. And I just felt okay, this is something I'd like to do. So at some point, I wanted to study law, uh, and realized that you know. Yeah, it's it's got to be Copenhagen Business School. So so I, I ended up going to Copenhagen Business School, and and uh, yeah, I have no regrets over that. So, so so you did you did five years at CBS, and then it looked like you you decided to I don't know if it's sort of a pivot or a shift, but then you started to go more into the shipping, and you took an education in shipping. So how did that thought process look like when you finished a master degree at CBS? Yeah, now I wish I could say that. Um, 
I just wanted to work in shipping and you know my dad was a sailor or something like that but the the, the, the brutal truth is it was completely random so when I uh, when I graduated in uh, in 2005 um, I had the ambitions of starting a career beginning a career and um, what I wanted to do um, was that I wanted to start on a management trainee program because uh, I want I was aware that I knew something from business school but I was also uh, what can you say very much aware that you don't come out from the first day and and, and rock the world so by going on a on a trainee program uh, I thought it would be a good start so I applied for a lot of trainee uh, programs in, in, in Denmark. I, I, I originate from Denmark. So in Denmark, a lot of the big companies, Carlsberg, uh, Maersk, uh, and others, Novo, uh, they have these uh, the graduate programs. So I applied for, um, for, uh, for them and uh, got uh, lucky on a few of them. And one of them was uh, Maersk. So my thinking back then was uh, Maersk, it's a big company. It's the biggest company at the time in Copenhagen. Um, that is a good start. When I walked in the door at Esplanade on the first day, I, I tell you, I didn't know what was the back and the front of a ship. Uh, I didn't know uh, that there were different business classes. I, that I really hadn't thought about that. So it was a very green uh, young man coming uh, on his first day. But um, uh, yeah, today, I don't know if uh, uh, I know what's back and forth now, but, uh, but, uh, but uh, yeah, it took a little time to, um, to understand and learn. But uh, uh, I guess it's like that for everyone who goes into a into into a new job. You, you don't really know what's going to hit you before you start. Definitely, you you always sort of start at zero. But, but during that time at Merce, did you end up also in Brazil for a period? Or yes, that's right. So during the um, uh, during the two years uh, traineeship, there was one rotation uh, abroad, and uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to uh, be sent to Brazil. So I spent well. It was supposed to be six months. It ended up actually being twelve months. In, uh, in, uh, in Brazil. Um, and uh, yeah, I can highly recommend uh, any, anyone to, to spend time abroad. You learn a lot, uh, you learn a lot from it. And uh, I can highly recommend it to do it when you have no children, then it's easier. Definitely. So, so obviously, shipping is a super international business. So, do you feel like that being abroad is close to necessary in order to fully understand, I mean, all the impact? Uh, I I would almost say yes. I think at least you give yourself a much better uh, foundation to stand on. I think that is applicable in shipping, but I also think it's applicable uh, elsewhere in life. I think you learn a lot from from being abroad. You learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about actually where you come from, ironically perhaps, but you get to understand and appreciate things, how they are in Denmark, how they are in Norway, uh, versus uh, how you do things uh, other places you also learn that not everything you do in Denmark or in Norway and Scandinavia is perfect so I think you know you you, you learn and you mature and you grow so I, I definitely recommend it, uh, if, uh, if 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 one gets the chance and can otherwise make it uh, make it work with with uh, with family and uh, and all the other practicalities definitely so, so uh, after uh, a stay in Brazil you sort of headed to, to Germany right how did that look like yes I came back from uh, from um, I came back from Brazil, back to the headquarters, you can say, in Copenhagen, and I worked there, if I'm not mistaken, uh, three, four years, I guess it was, um, where I uh, worked on the uh, see, the chartering side, which is the commercial side. It's where we negotiate the contracts for the ships and sort of decide the strategy on the on the trading of the vessels. Uh, and um, then I was approached by a by a, a certain Mr. Richard New, who's a ship owner who is based of all places in Beverly Hills, but he is, he has 
he had or, and has uh, two uh, uh, companies in Germany, in Hamburg, and he was asking if I could start up his new uh, gas outfit. Um, he had six gas vessels. It was a smaller company, um, but he was looking to uh, take back the control of this company. It was at the moment he placed these vessels with some other people who were handling everything. He wanted to start up on his own, and he asked if I could become the managing director for this company and start it up. And that was a big uh, opportunity for me in, uh, in, uh, in my early 30s to, 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 to come to Germany and, and do that. So I was, um, I, was, I was on board straight away. So I was spending or ended up spending eight years working for, uh, for Richard. Uh, and uh, yeah, great, uh, great, great eight years for sure. I enjoyed Hamburg. How did you how, how do you find those opportunities? Is it a matter of luck or skill or is it strategic planning or is it how do you end up with those amazing opportunities? Yeah, I think um, it's definitely a, a, a lot of a lot to do with the luck. Uh, I'm not gonna try and say anything else. Um, obviously, you need to you need to be ready to to grab the chances when they are there. So you need to be ready to move at least in shipping uh, to another destination, which can be for some. Uh, and it also was for me in the beginning a bit, uh, would say terrifying, but uh, but challenging. You say goodbye to all your friends, uh, family, etc. Um, so you need to be ready to, to 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 move when you get the chance. But I think definitely it's about being at the right place at the right time, and you you can't always plan these things. Of course, it helps if people feel you've been doing a good job up until the time when said opportunity arises. Um, but that 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 circumstances play a large role in this is, 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 is for sure. I think if I can just add, in shipping at least, it's also a lot to do with your network. Uh, shipping is very much a relationship-driven business, industry, um, and many of the jobs in uh, in particular in LPG, which I was, I'm working in a different segment now of shipping, but but in LPG, um, is, which is a small community, many of the jobs, uh, if not uh, yeah, not all of them, but many of the good jobs at least are not even uh, announced. So uh, people find them through uh, their network. So of course, by having a good network and having people saying, okay, you know, this guy's pretty okay, uh, is, 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 a, is, a, is a way of, uh, of, uh, of getting that next, uh, that next job. Totally agree. And, and today you, you obviously did the CEO of, of Golden Ocean and also there was a bit of randomness that, that you ended up in Norway. Yes, it was a bit of randomness um, after um, after Hamburg, uh, where I spent, as I said, eight years. Um, I moved, uh, you can say, to the other side of the table. So I was working on the ship owning side, and I moved over to uh, the customer side. So I moved to the trading side, to a to a trading house uh, where they were buying and selling the cargoes, but also owning vessels. So I was responsible for for the for the ship owning book, um, and that was very uh, interesting. That was a uh, that was a, a more difficult move for me privately because in the meantime, I, had, uh, been, I got married and I had a child. Uh, so, uh, so moving everyone from Hamburg was, uh, was more of a challenge, but we did it. Uh, and um, and uh, the idea was to stay there for a long time. But um, as, uh, as the circumstances happened, it uh, ended up being only one and a half year. Uh, we were uh, at the time uh, uh, negotiating with uh, Avance Gas about a kind of a joint venture between Petrodeck, as the company was called, and, and Avance, and then that those talks didn't materialize, uh, and that was fine. But then afterwards, um, uh, I was asked by Avance if I was interested in taking over CEO for for Avance. So they sort of dragged me up on the other side of the table again, and um, I guess my heart was uh, still, you know, 
a little bit filled with the owner owner side. So uh, so so I said yes to that. And after uh, no disrespect to Oslo, but uh, it took a little uh, what can you say uh, convincing of my wife moving from London to to Oslo. Uh, we love it here, so uh, so don't don't worry. But um, but it it was a, it was a it was a big move again, and it was very shortly after we had already moved. So. I hope now that uh, I can stay in uh, in Oslo for many years and 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 take a breather. <laughs> but, but basically, Ulrike, based on all the stories, that you have to be sort of adaptable to to strike to to them opportunities that arrive in shipping because it could come fast, and then you suddenly have the, this decision to make that you should move family and move you know place to live, etc. So it's about also being adaptable or flexible in this market. Uh, very much so. I think I think that's probably the key the key factor here. Uh, of course, combined with some, what can you say, with some with some randomness, with some with, with some luck, but 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 being able to to be light-footed and and, and move at the right opportunity is a, is a, is, a, is needed. Um, and uh, yeah, and I'm not gonna try and uh, you know paint an overly rosy picture of that because it's not always fun to move around the world. It has some consequences, of course, it does. It also gives a lot. So it's that balance that you need to. You need to strike, but 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 for me and my family, it has it has worked, and we have always stayed in the vicinity, at least after the family vicinity of Copenhagen, allowing us to go back. Clearly, now we have a COVID situation; it's different. But from Hamburg, we could drive up. From London, it was relatively easy to fly back. Many connections. Uh, the same here in Oslo, uh, relatively short. So for us, it has been a priority that we can still reach our families. Uh, I can reach my friends, uh, and and all of that. So. You know, that's a long way to Singapore, for instance, uh, where which also is a big shipping hub. Um, but that's a different proposition altogether, of course. So, so yeah, you gotta find a, a way to make to make that make that work with your family. Otherwise, you said you, sh- you shouldn't be doing it. Every, it has to work on all fronts. Definitely. So now you've been CEO for Gold Notion in one year. How do you summarize that? I mean, you you've done it like the whole year of COVID as well. How how has it been this, that year? Yeah, it's been a bit of a a bit of a, a challenge in, in in some ways, as as we as we said, or as you said initially, it's a very international industry. So being coming into a new job, and mind you, I came from the LPG side, so it it, it it's like coming from a different industry almost. Uh, you come into um, it ships all right, but it's you know it's two different person gallery, uh, both places, different um, drivers of the market. Everything is different. Yes, it's a ship, but but otherwise there are many differences. So of course it takes time to to adapt. Um, uh, so in a way, it was a bit of a what can you say a blessing in disguise that there was COVID because I think there would have been a big expectation for me to travel around the world to meet our customers, to meet our brokers, to meet everyone. As I said, it's relationship driven. Everyone understood that would not happen. So that gave me a very unique opportunity to focus 100% uh, in-house for the first 12 months. I did the video calls, I did all of the things, but it takes an hour instead of you know a week to take, go to Singapore. So I think that has been, as I say, actually working well for me. Uh, don't get me wrong, I want COVID to stop right now. But um, but but coming into the job, it was a it was a it was a it was a huge advantage. So I spent the first three months with uh, a notebook under my arm, uh, walking around in the company, speaking to everyone, calling all the funds, calling our customers. Getting to know, you know, what is gold notion? How we perceive? What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? Um, and uh, as I said, that's a reason you have. Uh, even if I talk a lot now, there's a reason you have two ears and one mouth, and that means that in that period, you listen and you observe. Um, 
And then uh, when that uh, process was was over, it took about three months, I'll say. I guess in a way it's still ongoing. You learn all the, all the time. But but to you know, take the first big steps, we put together a plan, uh, a, strat- a strategic plan, or a business plan, uh, and that's the one that we are now working after. Uh, obviously, that strategy is being revisited all the time. Things change. The world is not static. Um, but it sort of laid the foundation. Um, so. If that's sort of yeah, that's sort of how I spent I guess the first uh, the first uh, twelve months, and they went by uh, they went by quick. For those people that are that familiar to Gold Notion, can you describe the company a bit? Because obviously it's a huge company, like hundred yeah. vessels. So so I mean, there's a lot going on. I mean, it's a huge operation, of course. Yes. So uh, Gold Notion is the the largest listed owner of Cape Size vessels, and Cape Size vessels are the largest uh, vessels in the in the in the in the say the dry fleet. So, so we work in uh, in dry cargo. It's uh, it's uh, transporting uh, uh, mainly iron ore, uh, coal, um, grains, uh, and other as we say commodities. Um, but but these are the three three main ones. Um, and uh, there uh, we have, as you say rightly, we have just shy of hundred vessels. Um, and um, what do we have? We have three representations. We have here in Oslo as the headquarter. We have a small outfit in Antwerp. We have a large office in Singapore. Um, and we are 42 employees. Um, and uh, yeah, so we, uh, yeah, what do we have? A market cap of 1.5 billion, I guess, uh, US dollars uh, as, of, as of today. So we are, uh, we are the, we are the largest owner in the space, I think, on par with the uh, Starbucks, which is one of our competitors. They have around the same market cap as us. So yes, it is a big, uh, it is a big, uh, it is a big business. Um, and uh, yeah, it takes time to get an overview, of course, of, the, of an organization that size. And maybe I should add also that uh, Gold Notion is one of the companies that belongs to the Fredrickson Group. So Fredrickson is the majority shareholder, and he's also um, on the board. So, uh, so, uh, so he has a has a has a has a great interest in uh, in uh, in Golden Ocean. Definitely. So, so, let's talk a bit about about the market because, from your experience, like how much destiny control do you feel you have uh, of the trajectory of the company? Because let's let's compare it to a SaaS company, a software company, you can maybe have more destiny control in how to grow it. But in shipping, I mean, there's a lot of things that you really can't control, whether it's GDP growth in India and China and those macro political situations. So how do you see that that playing out in the shipping field? Yes, it's the it's the it's the charm and it's the frustration at the same time, because you're absolutely right. Shipping, we are derived, you can say the demand for shipping is derived, uh, meaning that uh, we uh, we are uh, we are in the hands of uh, of uh, of the demand for iron ore that will then create a demand for for for, for shipping, uh, and that goes for the other commodities as well. And of course, the demand for iron ore depends on as say, GDP growth. It depends on yeah what is China doing and a lot of other factors that are completely beyond our control. Uh, so yes, I think uh, versus a software company, certainly there's a lot less uh, of the growth factors that we can control. Um, Obviously, that said, uh, there are also a lot of factors that we can control, and those are the one, the handles that we are, of course, trying to turn to the best of our abilities. Um, I think if you boil down what ship owning is, um, very, very simply, it is a, it's a combination of uh, trading and risk management. So you can imagine a ship 
it's uh, it's not like a car where you buy a, and for hundred thousand and you depreciate it line to the day that it's not worth anything any longer. A ship is um, is uh, is definitely going to be worth zero at some point, but it's extremely volatile on the way down to that zero. Uh, an example in two thousand and eight, you could buy a Cape size vessel for just around not just shy of hundred million dollar. Twelve months later, you could buy the same ship for around fifty million dollar. So we are talking about huge volatility. So obviously, the key for a ship owner is to enter market at the right time buying the vessel at the right time, hopefully making some money while you own it, and then exit at the right time, um, and then start all over again in a way. So I think it's, uh, you're right, we cannot, uh, we cannot predict the markets. Uh, we can have an assumption, we can have some expectations, but no one in this world, no one can predict COVID. So we walk into last year and we think that it's going to be a reasonable year. Everything, you know, We can see how many vessels there are, we can sort of see the demand, we have a pretty clear expectation, and then suddenly the whole world changes around. And I think that's frustrating, but it's also part of the charm. It means that suddenly you have to completely re-ramp your strategy, you have to rethink everything. But it also gives opportunities, right? Because it gave opportunities for us to uh, look at, uh, as the prices fall, you can go in, we bought 18 vessels recently, it gives us an opportunity to, to tap into the market uh, and, uh, and grow our position. And then, um, and then hopefully later, uh, flip that position or uh, generate a lot of revenue on those vessels. That's what we're doing right now. So, so you're right. Uh, we cannot control our destiny the same way, um, but it doesn't mean that we that we can't uh, can't control anything at all. Um, so, yeah, if that answers the question. Yeah, one hundred percent. You talked a bit about the acquisition, and I think it was uh, cited that it was the biggest in Golden Ocean's history. The eighteen new vessels. Can you talk a bit about the, the the consideration that goes into that deal and, and when to make it? Because you said it's very timing-based as well. So what need to align in order to make that the right investment at the right time? Um, yes, we bought uh, 18 uh, new vessels around about, what is it now, six weeks ago, I reckon, um, to the sum of $750 million. So it was a larger transaction, uh, the largest in Golden Ocean history for sure. Um, when you when you ask what goes into a consideration uh, when buying an asset, uh, I now wish I could say that we um, took our Excel spreadsheet, we made an NPV analysis, forecasted the markets, and then we saw we get an, a net present value of X Y C. We go forward with the uh, with the investment, but we didn't. Obviously, we calculate what is the break even on on a given price, so we know what is the, you know with the financing we can achieve, etc. But what goes into, but, oh, sorry, I go one step back. But as you heard, the prices are swinging like this. Even more volatile are the daily rates that we achieve. So they go up and down as well. So last year we got 5,000 per day and we got 35,000 per day during the year. So this is like forecasting this market for an asset that is going to live for another 20 years when I can hardly predict what the market is next week. It's like asking you, what is the Tesla share? in two weeks, you would be hard pressed to answer that. You have an expectation, but you don't know. This is the same for us. We have an expectation where the market is going. We have some assumptions, but we don't know for sure. That's why it becomes a risk management play. So what we look at is, of course, what are the outlooks? What are the expectations? We have quite strong expectations to, to, the, to the world economy, to the GDP growth, to where the market is heading. Because coming out of COVID, the world is changing. Fine. Um, 
So we look into that. But we look, what can you say, at the same time, at you know, where are we financially? Where are we with the contracts we've already closed that are fixed? What is our cash flow? Uh, how much cash do we have at hand? Can we, can we, can we swallow this transaction uh, and still have a reasonable uh, risk-reward balance? Uh, so some, those are some of the things that we, that we look at. But when we insert on this particular deal, we entered in a in a time where the asset prices or the prices for a, for a, for a vessel of that type was uh, you know haven't been seen for eleven years, and um, we uh, we deemed that all the sort of the, the 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 right boxes were checked and that the risk reward was correct. But we hand on heart do not know how good will this investment be at the end of the day. Also, because it depends on when we sell, we could probably turn around and sell these vessels today with a small profit. And that would be good, a done deal. But we think that we can make more by holding on to them longer because they're now they're generating cash in the market. So, so I think an investment decision in shipping is a, is a, is a, is not a, like you learn in a, in a, in business school with a, with a, with a cash flow and then you put a, your whack and then you got a, you got an NPV. It's um it's a bit more. A uh, trading uh, mentality uh, we uh, we are operating with. Fascinating. Uh, I heard you you talk uh, on a panel about the digitalization of shipping, and basically you had this like great car analogy in terms of the fuel economy. Can you talk a bit about that trend and, and how you see the the digitalization of shipping? Yeah, I think I'll start by uh, by saying that we have been a little bit hesitant, should we say, in shipping. Um, and, 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 and honestly, we, we, we have been too, too, too slow uh, waking up and, uh, and, and, and moving forward on this. I think finally uh, we are waking up in shipping, but, um, but uh, it's, still, it's still early days. Um, in Golden Ocean, we have, uh, from the strategy that I, I, I spoke about earlier, one of the pillars in that strategy is uh, decarbonization and digitalization. I think it's absolutely key for what is going to happen in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in the industry going forward. Um, what we are doing now is that we are looking very, very closely on the fuel economy. And uh, I don't want to ask, why didn't you do that before? Because that is actually uh, the million dollar question. Because now we do it because we want to decarbonize and we spend less fuel, we spend less, we have less cost. But, you know, decarbonization or not, that should have been done long ago. Okay, we leave that for now. And in any case, now we are finally starting to move on, on these things. So what we, are, what we are doing now is that uh, and this is the dream that we have in, in, in Golden Ocean, is that we want to turn our vessels from analog to digital. And what we mean by that is uh, we want to have a much better understanding and much more data on how our vessels perform. Because the, the, the brutal truth is that not one single ship owner 12 months ago knew what his vessel was consuming. And this sounds absurd, but maybe it's not so absurd when you think about it. Because it depends on... How fast it's like your car, as you said, that's the analogy, right? How do you know what your own fuel consumption is on your car at home? No, you don't, because it depends if you go uphill or downhill, if it's cold, if you go fast, if you accelerate, if you deaccelerate. This is the same for a ship. Um, the, the problem in shipping has been that you get a reading once every 24 hours done by a captain uh, or chief engineer on a little needle down in the, in the engine room. Now, what we are doing is uh, actually as we speak, we are raking up sensors and mass flow meters on all of the important measurements like you would do on a car. We get a live feed from that into our IT systems, meaning that we get a read every five minutes instead of every 24 hours. 
obviously that gives us a much better understanding of resistance of current of um, of uh, what can you say uh, yeah of the calibration of the engine of the fouling of the hull if there's a lot of you know growth on the hull it goes slower um, so we get an understanding of the ship and on back of that and the market because uh, whether you want to go fast or slow also depends on the price of the market and the, and the price of the next cargo on the price of the bongas on all of that we now get algorithms calculating the optimal speed so instead of you know going maybe 13 knots we now know ah, we need to go 13.1 knots that is the optimal speed right this very second when we put all these factors together this leads to enormous amount of savings on fuel um our fuel bill last year was i can't even remember but we bonkered more than 1.2 uh, um, how much was it now? i forget how many tons we uh, we uh, we uh, bonkered but uh, but huge huge savings here of course when you have 100 vessels that are burning uh, you know 20 30 tons a day can you save 5% on this we're talking massive savings so this is a way where digitalization is kicking in uh, other examples could be mentioned but this is a, this is definitely um, uh, where we are we are we are firing on all cylinders at the moment when you go about building these new tech solutions, are this sort of like always in-house initiatives or do you collaborate with others outside the organization? Um, on this particular uh, initiative, uh, we are collaborating with people outside the house. Um, we don't have the capabilities to know what are the best sensors, how, you know, which one are the best mass flow meters, how do you rig this up to our IT system. Uh, so we definitely work with people uh, who know uh, more about this than uh, than uh, than, the, the, than than we do. Definitely. So, can you talk a bit about the the um, decarbonization as well? What do you think are the biggest milestones ahead on that term? I think decarbonization will change uh, the shipping industry um, to an extent we have never seen before. We have not seen such a big change in the industry ever. I'm not afraid to call it the biggest thing ever. And the reason I say this is because decarbonization is impacting the model on basically all levels. So we need to bring down emissions. Uh, uh, what can you say? The IMO, it's like the, the, the world, the global, uh, the global uh, umbrella for, for, for shipping. And they, um, they uh, want us to bring down uh, uh, emissions with 40% before 2030. Uh, there are some that have stricter requirements. There are some that have broken out and, and asked the customers and, and, um, and, uh, and banks that want a stricter, that have stricter requirements. But generally speaking, we need to bring down decarbonization. That goes without saying. What this means is that suddenly you have, as I say, an impact on most of your, of your, of your business model. On the financing, what we're seeing now is that the banks, DNB for one, but also others, are tying a reduction in emissions to the price of capital. Of course, you want to have competitive finance. You have to have that as a ship owner so you can keep your cost down. Uh, so, you know, you need to bring down for that reason. So your, 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 your capital structure is being impacted. Our customers are starting to ask, how much do we emit on one single trade? We want to know because you are our logistic chain. So whatever my ship that transports your cargo emits is also your emissions. So you as a customer would like to Make sure that you also bring down your carbonized, decarbon uh, 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 what can you say, emissions, because otherwise you have problems with your banks. Um, so our customers start to, 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 to demand this. Um, we also see our employees. If you want to attract and retain employees, you need to have a 
plan for this. You need to have some visions around around this. We want to take responsibility. You know, we want we want to do what we can. Um, and then, of course, finally, and I think this is also very important. Maybe the I don't know if it's the most important one, but very important it is that prices of the assets will be impacted. So if you have an owned vessel that is emitting a lot, it will be difficult in the future to uh, sell it to the customer. So he would want to pay a lower price for that because he needs to go on carbon offset for the high emissions. Whereas a modern vessel um, will not need to do that. So you can uh, you can charter that at a higher price. Obviously, then your prices on your old tonnage will, will dip more than on modern tonnage. That's why we believe in, in, in focusing on modern tonnage. And that's why we believe decarbonization is yeah, it's it's everything. It's gonna change everything, as I say, on 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 you know all, all all parts of the business model. And of course, finally, the investors the investors want to see ESG uh, compliance as well. Uh, so yeah, just to just to take it all. That's definitely. Uh, I I just wondering, like in this scenario, is is it is it good to be so big as Golden Ocean, or does it make it a bit more complicated having this enormous fleet in terms of that? Maybe you would. Would it be easier to be a, a smaller operator to be a bit more agile and to, to maybe yeah sort of be more agile on this, or is it is it good to be as large as Gold Notion? I think it depends. I think for us, I think if you're very very big and have a very very old fleet, obviously you have a bigger task than if you are very uh, small uh, and uh, and um, and get quicker change. But I'll say uh, to begin with, uh, one uh, our fleet is only six. Uh, years of age average, which is the lowest by far among the stock listed owners uh, by margin. So it doesn't mean we can rest on the laurels, but we have a pretty good uh, starting point. Then I will say that you can have different strategies for different companies. It may not be that everybody wants to pursue a strategy of having modern tonnage. There can well be a strategy that is, okay, we don't have the latest technology on board. We don't invest a lot in our vessels for digitalization, for all these kind of things. We keep our costs down and then we fix to people who are not so interested in, in, uh, in the emissions. And there are, there are a lot of people out there that are not interested in emissions. Correct, the Cargill, Trafigur, the big miners, and a lot of people, uh, the, those we know, uh, will be uh, interested in that. But there's also going to be a lot of smaller players that, uh, that are not so interested. So I'm not saying that there is only one strategy for a ship owner, but I think for or Golden Ocean's point of view, where we want to position ourselves, I think um, I think uh, we want to focus on that. And then with a young fleet, and what can you say, the critical mass and the knowledge and the um, and the and the what can you say the base that we stand on, I think it's an advantage to be uh, to be uh, to be to be big. Um, and we have already sold two vessels uh, this year um, of our two of our oldest vessels. And the 18 we have bought are from uh, 2020 uh, and 2021. Uh, I think a couple from 19, but very very modern. So so we are we are renewing in that uh, in that sense, and it's something we will continue to do. So obviously you cannot do like this, uh, and also the world will also not change like this. Something that you gradually over the next two three years, let's call it that. Definitely, it makes sense. So. I mean, a lot of the listeners listening right now are curious about how you spend your day and how you are tr trying to be as productive as possible. Can you sort of explain like a typical day or week for you when you're trying to be at most productive as possible? Yes, uh, obviously I'm working from home now, as, as you can see, um, which, uh, yeah, now we, we, we've gotten used to it. Uh, but um, but yeah, I think, well, at least for my own sake, prefer to be in the office and to have everyone around. Um, that said, uh, I think, for me, being productive uh, is a matter of making sure 
not, not only that I'm productive, but the whole organization is productive. And I have a mantra that is uh, simplification. Don't overcomplicate things. It leads to what I call uh, solo work, people doing a lot of things that, uh, you know, produce graphs and produce this and that, uh, that's not really uh, productive. We try to, we are extremely lean in Golden Ocean. We are only 40 odd some people running this huge fleet. Uh, some of the, obviously that does not include the crew. It does not include some of the technical that we have outside. But the point is that, that um, we try to be, uh, we try to be lean and focus on the, on the, on the, on the main tasks. Um, and I think, that's the key for me to be sure that you that you uh, that you focus on the main things and um, and not uh, get caught up in. You have to report. That's fine, but not get entangled in too much reporting and too many projects that are not directly impacting the bottom line. I usually have a have a have a sort of a, a chest for for any project. Is would we pay for this outside the house? Uh, so if someone wants to do something, we only initiate that if we would also pay for it outside uh, the house uh, by some consultants. Um, so that's one way that I, you know, I try to myself be productive, but I think my finest task is really that the organization is productive. Um, and that's, um, that's, uh, that's some of the guidelines that I, uh, that I, that I operate uh, under or with maybe. Super interesting. And in terms of those reading habits, are they still as active today? And, and what do you like to read when you either in, in like the industry specific or business in general? What does your reading habits look like? Um, mostly uh, uh, business uh, general. I like to read um, and I recommend everyone doing it. You learn a lot. Uh, right now, uh, I'm reading a book about the, uh, actually about simplification, a Danish book. It's not, um, it's not super advanced, but it's, it's quite interesting. I think if we talk about the best books that I've read, um, I've, Read a few that I really like. I think one that stands out for me is uh, is uh, written by um, uh, by a former trader, a stock trader uh, called Nassim Taleb. He's, he's probably best known for uh, the, the Black Swan, but he's also written a book uh, before the Black Swan, which is called uh, "Food by Randomness," and um, that talks about uh, biases when you invest, about how you uh, how the human mind is hardwired to think in various ways. That's actually not constructive for how you invest. The fun thing is that you can allocate this other places as well. So it talks about something he calls survivorship biased anchoring and other stuff. And it's really useful and it really opened my, uh, my mind. Um, and uh, yeah, I can highly recommend that book for, uh, for anyone. There's some, uh, there's some very, uh, very, very interesting points in, uh, in, uh, in that uh, book. One of, one of the points that I really like is how he points out that people that invest or yeah, it could be other things they do, but they have a tendency of saying when something goes right, it was because they, you know, they, they knew what they were doing. They called the shot. They predicted everything. But when something goes wrong, it was because they weren't lucky, of course. Um, and um, that's, uh, that's, that's something I've seen in real life many times. And he points out how the human brain is, uh, is, uh, is, is too simple to understand all the impacts uh, that, are, that, that, that goes into uh, impacting the markets. We usually focus on a handful. We talked about GDP growth the other day, important factors. But, we, factor, but the reality is that there are hundreds, if not millions of factors that our brain cannot even uh, even uh, even um, uh, compute, and I think that 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 gives a good uh, it gives a good perspective on things. So I, I recommend that book. Another book also I'll be I'll be I'll be quick is uh, is a, a book called Outliers by uh, I think it's called Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. Um, which uh, which uh, discusses why some people are outliers, i.e. very high performers. Um, usually it comes down to some special circumstances. 
he discusses how Beatles became so uh, uh, fantastically good. Why uh, ice hockey players in the NHL, are, the majority of them are born in January and February. It's a quite interesting explanation to that. Um, and why Bill Gates became so uh, so hugely successful. And, and much of it is, uh, is down to some very special circumstances. Uh, and it's a very interesting book as well. And it, um, it tells you that there's a lot of to do with being good at what you do. Fine. Maybe 10%. <laughs> there's a lot of circumstances and other things as well. And I think that's always important to keep in mind. Super good recommendation. Just final question, uh, Ulrich. So there's a lot of young listeners listening that would love to build a career in shipping. Do you have any uh, advice or recommendations for the next generation coming up, trying to make an impactful career? I mean, some of the stories you've told, obviously there's lessons in them, but maybe to wrap it up. Yeah, I um, I don't uh, hope I reveal too much uh, if I say that this specific question you uh, you um, you actually uh, pre-advised me on. And I thought it was a really good question. And I spent last night starting thinking about it. And when I started thinking about it, I started writing a few things down. And when I started writing down, a lot of advice came up. So I, I would do it short, but uh, but uh, I'll just look in my notes here because I uh, I um, I thought it was a very good question. What 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 I think I uh, I would say is that first you got to realize one thing, and that is the responsibility for an exciting career. It rests on yourself and nobody else. So you got to take responsibility for your own career. Don't expect you know anyone else to uh, to uh, to do uh, things for you. It's on you. Um, and then I wrote, write the, wrote here: do something that you like. It's quite obvious. Uh, but I wrote in parentheses: but don't give up after two months. <laughs> so you know, um, try and seek out what you like. And that's very easy to say. It's uh, you know, you don't know before you, you start really. But but if you're not happy find something you're happy with. And then I wrote here, take chances. And that includes changing jobs, work abroad. We talked about it because every time you take on a new challenge, you grow as a person professionally and you know, it's, it's good for you. And then I wrote, uh, believe in yourself. If you don't believe in yourself, why would anybody else? So you got to trust yourself. I know that's very easy to say, it's harder to do, but, uh, but, uh, but uh, it's important. And that doesn't mean you should be inflexible. I mean, you got to be inflexible. You got to be, uh, what can you say, easy to work with. But you got to have some values, some core values that you navigate after. And I think you'll get much more respect for being uh, who you are than trying to be someone you think people want you to be. And then I, I only have two more, so I'll, I'll be quick. Um, I wrote here, never be afraid to seek advice or receive feedback. It's not a. It's it's a good thing to get feedback. It's a good uh, thing to seek advice. We don't know everything in the world. I still seek advice. Um, and then, very importantly, don't take things personal. Never. And remember, your career is just a job after all. Don't take it all too seriously. Remember to have some fun along the way. That's uh, that that was a uh, that was a few of the things that I that that, that was more. But uh, we'll we'll save that for another for another. Yeah. Season. I mean, that's perfect. Especially the last one, don't take it personal because like like you said in business, there's so many variables as well. So it's, it's a bit tough to always blame yourself and be personal about everything. You should definitely not do that. It's um, it's uh, Life is too short for that. Definitely. Okay, thank you so much, Ulrich, for taking the time. It was a big pleasure to have you on. Yeah, likewise. It was a very uh, fun to be on the, on the podcast. And um, yeah, thank you. Hi everyone, Christopher here again. Just a few things before you leave the show. If you like this episode, it would be great if you could give it a review and also share it with your professional network. If you want to get in touch with me, Twitter is the place. Just go to at Chris Wunheim. 
You can also find this information in the show notes. Hope to see you tune in to the next episode and take care.